Welcome to Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax, every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. My mission is to stick to the three P's, delivering to you advice, guests, and data that are practical, profitable, and plain English. I'm the owner and team leader of Platinum Realty Team here in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. We sell our clients' homes in half the average time and for 3.8% more than the average area real estate agent. So here's the deal. If you need to sell your home, we've got you covered because right now I have over 886 buyers actively seeking a home here in the Delaware Valley. Now look, these buyers are on retainer. They're pre-qualified. They're ready to make an offer on the right home. So visit www.warrenhasthebuyers.com to match up your home with one of these ready-to-act buyers now. That's warrenhasthebuyers.com. Today's show is 100% focused on making you more money. When you sell your home, you've got to get the price you want and need. So I brought in the expert. Drew Dickinson is here from Platinum Realty Team. And Drew, <clears throat> let's let's get into the pricing part of this first. We're going to talk about negotiations maybe a little bit later on. You know, how to do that, how to get the home ready, making sure you do all the things necessary to get the price that you want for your home. But let's start out with what seems a lot of times like the most basic thing and maybe the thing people don't spend enough time on, and that is how to even price the home in the first place. What should our asking price be? How's it going, Warren? Thanks for having me here today. Asking price is definitely going to be a function of information. Okay, you need the right information to, to price your house accordingly. Unfortunately, in our industry, when, when people do actually take the time to interview multiple agents, some agents feel like the best way they can get your listing is to tell you you'll get more money than you actually will. That does nothing but hurt you, okay? So the first thing I'm going to do when I'm, when I'm looking to price your house is I'm going to go and see what everything else around you is actually sold for. Not what it's on the market for, not what they tried to sell it for and failed, but what things have actually sold for. That's going to be our primary um, kind of basis point of where we're going to work off of. You know what, let's, let's just back up for just a second because you said something really important, which was you talked about selecting the real estate agent. And I don't want to go sure. off on too much of a tangent here, but... So one of the mistakes I think that is sometimes made by home sellers is they select the agent based on the price that the agent says the home will sell for, as opposed to reviewing the qualifications of the different agents first. What are they going to do for me? What have they done right. for other folks? And then I'll listen. You know, if I'm interviewing three agents, I don't care what all three of them think my home is going to sell for, to be completely honest. Because right. what I want to know is who's the best agent for me, and then you know, she or he, I'm going to talk about price with that professional, that specialist. Because let's face it, if I determine that one of these three is completely unqualified, do I care what that person thinks the price of my home is? No, but unfortunately, some people don't even get that far. I, I'm, I've come in the, gone into many houses where people say, yeah, well, this guy told me he'd get me 250 You're telling me you only get me 225 okay? And that's because we're trying to be honest. We're trying to give you well, a Well, it's not you. You're not buying the house anyway unless we're, it's part of our guaranteed sale program. Right. Um, you're, you're, the market is the market. Exactly. And it's a matter of how, how you properly interpret it. So that's a good point. Yeah, and, and to, to your point about you know seeing what they've done for other people, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you conduct yourself in our business, uh, you can't hide behind the few positive testimonials that you have in your briefcase when you show up at a listing appointment. You, the general public, have at your disposal, I mean, Google your agent's name. <laughs> look at them up on Zillow. Look them up on Trulia and see what other people have said. Gone are the days where I can 
have my mom write a glowing testimonial and show it to you. I mean, you can see the good, the bad, and the ugly about just about everybody. If there's not any information out there about that person, maybe that's information. <laughs> the fact that they haven't done anything or they don't have positive reviews or or maybe they're not doing much business. So take that into account when you're making your decision. That's that's a separate topic. But when it comes to pricing your home, the information that you're going to need is is what other homes have sold for, okay? what? How are they different from yours? How are they similar to yours? What can I expect in terms of days on the market? What can I expect of S to sell ratios in my neighborhood? How much does a given home sell for in comparison to what it's listed for generally? And that you can do that on a macro level on your entire neighborhood and on a micro level with your actual real estate agent. Okay, so those are statistics that your agent should know when you're, when you're out there interviewing. Yeah, all great points when you're talking about what to consider up front and not just a matter of what has sold in the area, but also what are the neighborhood trends? What are the area trends? If sure. if homes in your area are going up um, a half a percent or, or a full percent per month, now that would be a white hot market, but just to use round numbers, um, you want to know that so that you're going to price accordingly and vice versa. If, if the homes are going down, remember, when you look at a sold comparable sale okay that home had to be priced it had to attract buyers and then the buyer who made the offer on that home had to go through the mortgage process so sold comparable sales are backwards looking and they are going back a few months so you know in in the appraisal world they will typically use six months worth of comparable sales okay so you can go back about six months but recognize that a home that that settled six months ago really attracted its buyer seven or eight months ago so there is a difference and you do want to make sure you're clear on where the trends are in your area so that you can see it and you can react to it again if the market's going up it's important that I know that, but it's just as important to know, is it going up recently or is it has did it go up six months ago and now things are stagnant? So all of that exactly. is, is pretty easy to track and, and understand. So yeah. we're talking about setting your price, how to get the price you want and need when you sell your home. And you can get access to this report. We're happy to provide it for you for free. Just go to our website, www.1210homeprice.com. Dot com. That's 1210homeprice.com. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call me directly at 215-945-3000 or visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. We're speaking with Drew Dickinson from Platinum Realty Team about getting the price you want and need on your home. And Drew, you were just talking about different ways you could be pricing the home. Right, exactly. And I'll, I'll start here. Overpricing your, you don't want to be the overpriced home in an area, okay? And in the Northeast, we have the luxury where I'll, I'll say most. Most homes are fairly easy for me as a professional to evaluate just simply because they're typically around other homes that are similar, okay? There are, we have, are a very densely populated area. So typically there's not just one house on your street, okay? Or there's but when not, you say the Northeast, you mean the Northeast of the United States? Sure. Not just Northeast Philadelphia? No, not just Northeast Philadelphia, okay. no. But I'm just saying, you know, there's a lot of comparable, we're not selling as many farmhouses as we are row homes or houses in, in developments or new construction developments where there's other things that we can compare ourselves to. That's, that's a good thing. Um, 
where people get a little bit off track is where they try to overinflate the value of things that are important to them, which might not necessarily be important to every single buyer that's, that's out there. Okay, because I tell you this not because it'd be easy for me just to underprice your home and sell it quickly, but it's a huge detriment to you if I give you advice to price your home at market value plus 10000 because that's going to cost you money. Okay, you don't want to be the home that's sitting there languishing on the market for three and six and nine months because I'll tell you what you start to get a stigma you start having buyers and buyers agents wondering well what's wrong with that house why hasn't anybody else bought that yet well let, let, all right let's boil this down so there's basically four ways you could price your home okay you could clearly overprice it you could somewhat overprice it you could price it correctly at market value or you could price the home below market value Okay, so you're starting to get into some of the yep. some of the ramifications of these different pricing strategies. Let's just start with the first one: clearly overpricing a home. What what is that? What causes that, and why is that good or bad? Okay, if, if we're talking about clearly overpricing your home, I'd say so. Everything in the neighborhood selling between two hundred and two twenty five, and I want to price my home at three hundred. Right. I would tell you you're clearly overpriced. It doesn't matter how much extra work you've done to the inside of a home. It doesn't matter that, you know, you love the paint that you put on the, the living room or that your backyard's a little bit bigger than the next door neighbors. You will be labeled as a clearly overpriced home and that will cost you money. Why? Because you're going to I mean, be can I just start high and they can make me an offer? Most people people say, buyers, you mean. Yeah, most buyers are not necessarily going to say, "Okay, uh, they don't. They can't read your mind. They can't say, "Hey, he's priced at three hundred, but he'd accept two twenty-five or two fifty. They don't know that. You're telling the entire world that you'll accept three hundred thousand dollars for your house. Now, will you have the occasional buyer that'll come in and and throw a low offer at you and see what sticks? Sure, but that's not most buyers. In most fact, that's what you're going to get right. is low ball offers when you're clearly overpriced. And and the other point I would throw in there that's that's good stuff, Drew, is buyers are searching in a price range. Okay, and you have competition, just like any market. There's competition, and when wherever you price your home, you are now placing yourself in a group of competitors, and you have to be very cold and and clear-eyed about how you compare your your home compares with the competition. So, in the example we're giving, all of the homes that are just like mine sell between two hundred and two twenty-five, but I price my home at three hundred because I quote want to try it at a higher number. The problem I'm going to have is I do have a two or a $225,000 home, but by pricing it at 300, the buyers who are looking at my home online are looking at other $300,000 homes. And right. I'm gonna lose every time because those homes are gonna be bigger, they're gonna be newer, they're gonna be perceived to be in neighborhoods that buyers prefer, whatever buyers decide, the market's gonna decide these things, not me. But the bottom line is clearly overpricing a home puts me in a pool where I lose every time. So no one's going to come in the door. If you're getting no showings, if your home is for sale right now and you're getting no showings, understand you're overpriced. Now, it may not be that your home is bad. It may not be that there's anything wrong with you or your agent, but buyers perceive that there's better stuff out there for less money. That's what's happening, and, and that's just what you're up against. So you have to realize that that's the market, and you have to deal with it. And so we understand that more than ever, buyers have information in today's world. Nothing is hidden. You know, We all know this intuitively. We all pull out our smartphones, and we can see just about anything we want to see today. Right. So understand. 
understand. Buyers have this information just as much as we do, and so we have to deal with the reality of the situation. And so if no one's coming through my home every month, and it's out there for sale, there, there's definitely an issue. And look, if you're looking to sell your home, remember, I'll just buy it myself if it doesn't sell. Visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call me at 215 945 3000 to get your home sold now, or visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for a free report that details this program. So it's now time for Mortgage Matters with local mortgage market expert Bill Mervin from Annie Mac Mortgage. Hi, Bill. Hi, how's it going, Warren? Well, it's going well. Good, good, good. Yeah, today I thought I'd talk about some things that, uh, basically, you know, some things that you would gather in the beginning of a mortgage uh, process in terms of what you might want to invest, you know, when you're, you're starting the process, what things we want to investigate and uh, make sure that we have all our ducks in a row for when you're ready to uh, purchase a home and, and finance a home. And then and then talk a little bit about what that process would look like or how we like to handle it in, in our office. So things that you'd like to have together, things that I'd like to have if we have a first meeting. Uh, many, many mortgage deals are done over the phone, uh, but our office is local in Bucks County. Uh, we have a lot of Bucks County buyers, a lot of Eastern Montgomery, uh, parts of Philadelphia. And so... I do like whenever we can get together face to face and have an in-office meeting. Uh, we've got a TV up on the wall that I can use to project the screen, and we can go through some different scenarios. And uh, you know, sometimes it'll make make things easier. So, well, tell me about that. Yeah. So that's not typical. I imagine that that isn't what people expect. I mean, why do I? What would be the benefit to me of sitting down with you and meeting, you know, with my loan officer before I start this mortgage process? Well, it can be. Uh, it can. I feel there's multifaceted reasons that I like to do it, and I will say that first and foremost, we've talked in previous episodes about, you know, a trust factor. You know, is is, you know, what sounds like the best deal always the best deal, and I can say that when you're going to borrow a uh, hundred thousand dollars, a quarter million dollars, a half a million dollars, whatever it is, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're talking about multi-decade commitments. And personally, I'd like to be, you know, looking across the table, looking at somebody, seeing, you know, how, how I feel about not just what they're telling me, but also how I feel about, uh, about them as a person and whether they're gonna actually going to be able to deliver on those promises. So I think there's just a trust aspect that with the days of, you know, cell phones and uh, Internet um, that people have gotten away from. But I still feel that it's an opportunity for uh, people to kind of sense authenticity uh, and to gain a level of confidence in the person that they're working with on, you know, what's going to amount to probably one of the most uh, significant financial decisions for, for most, you know, most people. I would well, say. also, you should know yourself. I mean, some people are auditory learners and a, a telephone call is really going to be a, a great way for them to communicate. But some people are visual, I'd say more than any other type in our society. And some people are kinesthetic learners. Yeah. And so for two out of three types of learners, you're really better off face-to-face -face yep. because you get the visual face-to-face, -face, talking about your monitor in your office, yep. that's a big deal. Yep. And the kinesthetic learner, obviously, you want to touch, you want to feel things, it just it just resonates better with you. Yep. So there's a real benefit there. Absolutely. and Because it, it really, that's where I was going with it, is, is the first part of it, of course, is, is that trust factor. But then in, in the actual scenario that we're looking at, 
um, I can show on the screen, hey, here's here on the credit, this is affecting us in this way, and if we do X, Y, Z, that this will get us in a better position to get a lower interest rate. But you know, if somebody's just telling you that, and versus showing you, and we can look at it, and you can touch it, and taste it, and feel it, and et cetera, I think it gives people a better understanding of the process. What does a mortgage taste like, Bill? That's a good one. I <laughs> just I'd love to know that. I would. I would one. as well. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it tastes like chicken. That's a good. That's exactly right. So, uh, but but yeah. So that's that's the idea because I will say there's things that you know whenever you see an advertised interest rate, everybody's showing you the best of everything. It's the most down payment, best credit, etc. And so if somebody just says, "Hey, my rate's this," and it's because of this reason, you're going to question it. Oh well, Lending Tree is telling me this. Well, when we can go through and we can reference the guidelines, hey, you know, here it is right from right off the you know, Fannie Mae, FHA guidelines, that if this is the case, this is what it does to the interest rate, or this is what it does at a closing cost. Because I've said this many, many times in here, and I know it's the same on your side of the business, which is it, it, the expectation is, uh, or, you know, how something is perceived is far more important than anything else. And so if you, if you, even if you're getting a great deal, if you're not certain because you can't see it and you don't know whether what I'm telling you is accurate, you're going to have a sense of discomfort or anxiety potentially about the process where when I'm able to go through and I'm able to show it to you why we're doing what we're doing and why things are what they are, um, it makes you feel more comfortable and less stressed about the process, which is really important about the total experience when you go to closing that you're not sitting here wondering for the next 10 or 20 years whether or not you really got a good deal or whether or not this is you know the right way to do things. So Hey, if you want to get the best financing on your home, I'm talking about the best deal on a mortgage. We have a special report just for you. It's 1210financing.com, www.1210financing.com. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. So we're speaking with Bill Mervin from Annie Mac Mortgage about the things you need to do to get ready for the mortgage process. So Bill, you were yeah. you were speaking about a number sure. of different items here. So so that's it. So if we get able to have a meeting in person or whether it's going to be over the phone, things that you want to get together is going to be... Uh, typically, you need the last two years of income, okay? So if it's most people that are wage earners, W-2 employees, that's going to be your tax returns and your W-2s and a month of recent pay stubs. If you are a business owner, uh, you'll need those um, you'll need those, those tax returns also. The business tax returns, uh, in most cases, if you own less than 25% of the business, you just need the K-1s. But we'll give you a full document checklist. But in general, it's the last two years' worth of income documents, month of recent pay stubs, and you're always looking at either the last two months and or quarterly statement of assets of uh, whether it's bank statements or retirement accounts, et cetera. So those are the documents you want to have together. When we get together, either in person or over the phone, things that you want to have thought about before the process, or certainly I will ask those questions, is, you know, what are your goals? And we say, it seems like a silly question when you're buying a home, but am I going to keep this house? Is this, I tell people to say, they're going to bury me in the backyard. I hear that all the time. Well, there's a different way that we can structure a loan if that's the case versus this is an intermediary home. We're going to have this until kids get to college or out of college, and then we're going to move on. You know, some people think the lowest interest rate is the, is the best. Well, if you're only going to be in a home for seven years, and I'm not talking about, you know, doing an adjustable rate, but if you're only going to be in a home in seven years, getting maybe a higher interest rate with $5,000 less in closing costs because if you look at the amount of monthly more uh, amount you're paying more monthly uh, at a particular interest rate, if you don't recover that in the first you know five or seven years that you're going to be there, you're actually better off. But so many people are fixated on interest rate. 
Now, a lot of mortgage people aren't going to have that conversation with you because they think you're more likely to use them if you give them the lowest interest rate. But the difficult question is to be the one to step out and say, hey, this is really what's best for you, and here are the reasons. So that's one thing. Um, you know, and, 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 and there's also the two major things about how we structure a deal is how much cash out of pocket and what's the payment. Those are two uh, factors that are competing with each other, right? The more you put down, the lower your payment's going to be. But for different people, the, those things have different weight. I had a gentleman that had plenty of money, but he had a lot of work that he wanted to do on a property. And uh, he was talking to me, hey, when we get this done, do you know someplace I can get a $20,000 loan to do some renovations, and et cetera? Probably was going to cost him an extra um, you know, 10% interest rate. Uh, consumer money is not tax deductible or mortgage interest is tax deductible. Hmm. I said, have you thought about putting 10% down instead of 20? And he said, well, I thought you had mortgage insurance then. I said, well, yeah, you do. And I thought you'd stay away from that. I said, you do, but you have health insurance. You have you know, dental insurance. Insurance isn't always bad if it serves a purpose. So it's only going to add this much to your payment, and it's, et cetera. And here's a person that $20,000, that was far more important to him than the $90 a month that it added to his payment. He needed that $20,000, and likely it was the cheapest and best way for him to go about that objective. There's another thing that, you know, most again, most mortgage people are going to say, hey, yeah, let's avoid the mortgage insurance. But looking at all facets and being able to challenge somebody and not just show what show them what you think is going to make them most likely to do the loan with you, but what's really in their best interest and weighs all of these, you know, competing uh, needs that a, an individual uh, borrower has is really the kind of things that you want to think about and things that we're going to discuss through the process to make sure that um, we're really not just taking a one-size-fits-all approach to to our, our customers. I like what you said about having goals and knowing what those goals are. I, I think that's really interesting because I don't know that most buyers really consider that their loan officer needs to know that um, because there's so many different things that you can do as the loan officer to make this a better product for the borrower. Um, I think most folks know and understand that they should be communicating with their real estate agent what's important to them. Certainly, we hear all the time what's important to buyers whether in, in a home. But knowing what their plan is with the home, I, I thought that was a really insightful point there, and that's a great one to think about when you're considering all of this, is communicate with the loan officer as well what you plan to do with the home, because the loan may not suit you necessarily, depending on what you do. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate the information. Bill, Mer sure. Bill Mervin from Annie Mac Mortgage. And if you're looking to sell your home, remember, I'll actually buy the home if it doesn't sell. Visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call 215-945-3000 to get your home sold now or visit www.warrenhasthebuyers.com for a free report that details this guaranteed home sale program. All right, so it's time now for Tax Tune-Up with Kathy Atkinson from Innovative Tax Solutions. So Kathy, you know, we're kind of we're in the middle of the year here, but what should we be thinking about? Well, while tax season 2016 is a long way off at least in our minds, now is the time to make some changes if the results from 2015 weren't what you wanted. Uh, with proper tax planning, you can get a refund of what you want or pay a balance due that is more budget friendly. We know that the 2016 tax brackets are pretty similar to what they were in 2015. So you need to think about what 
your results were in 15. If you're happy with the way things were, don't really make a change unless you had a significant change, a, a new job, a second job. Th this is for people that it's relatively the same from last year to this year, but the results weren't where they wanted where they wanted to end up. And the big thing is with balance due. Um, you know, if you have a balance due that's greater than $1,000, or if you haven't paid in 100% of last year's liability, in the case of high income earners, high net worth, uh, high income earners, um, that would be 110% of the balance that was due if you if your AGI is more than 150,000 you're going to AGI is a gross adjusted, adjusted gross, gross income, income. absolutely okay. right. um that's when the government can start hitting you with underpayment penalties and i as as a practice we really like to try to limit them we know where the penalties hit so if we know that let's try to avoid them and get some more money into your own pocket so if you're going to fall into this area where either you had a large liability last year or you're tracking to have an, another one this year, you can make some changes now. And the easiest change to make is to change your withholdings. And the easiest way of doing it is we all fill out our W-4 in the beginning of the year. We say we're either married or single or whatever, and the number of exemptions. I don't recommend changing that so much in as there's a, there's a, a of a line underneath saying to, where you can make an additional payment, additional amount to be withheld. So the easiest way to figure it out is, say I owed $1,500, um, and I know that there are 10 more pay periods left in the end of the year. I would take that 15, uh, taking into account that it takes my accounting department a couple of weeks to get the new withholdings done. So I would take that $1,500 divided by the number of pay periods left, in this case 10, I would ask for that line to have an extra $150. So that at the end of the year, I have my normal withholdings, plus I've made up the shortfall. And that's from last year? From last year. Okay, so I can just basically do it like a payment plan. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the, the idea is, just to to limit the penalties mm -hmm. um you can also conversely do this say your refund wasn't you want a refund of two thousand dollars because you go on vacation with it and that's your slush fund you can the same thinking goes into goes into the planning you could well, just I'm, figure out yeah how much Although more there you you're using the government as like a savings program and Correct. now we're putting a lot of trust into an entity that i don't have a lot of trust for <laughs> sorry but it's just the, the thing is, is, you know, I, I mean, I I don't like paying the government a lot of money, nor do I like them having a lot of my money. I, I, my sweet spot is $500 either way. Sure. Because then you're pretty much balanced out. But there are some people that they cannot save on their own. And this is a forced savings mechanism. So, you know, whatever my clients want, whatever refund sure. or balance do they want, you know, I'm going to strive for that. Now, if you don't want to change your withholdings, you could always make an estimated payment as well. We're going to have two estimated payments left, September 15th and January 16th, 2017. So in that case, whatever your shortfall is, you would divide it by two because you only have two payments left and you put that money, you, you would make that estimated tax payment. And then now, how, how does this impact, maybe you're going to talk about this later, but how does this impact self-employed folks? Well, self-employed folks, we're a pay-as-you-go system. Yeah. So really, the self-employed individual needs to be thinking about what they've earned in the quarter that they've earned it. 
If you had a slow quarter, then you know your with your estimated payment isn't that great. If you have a, a more robust quarter and you've earned a lot of money, that's when you have to pay it. So, all right. So that, let's speak sp- uh, more specifically. So I, I'm obviously in real estate, which right. is a seasonal business. Correct. So typically at the end of the year, based on what I owed last year, we'll create a plan for the next year. And the, the typical way that it's done is divide it by four and make quarterly payments based on whatever that is. Correct. Well, what you're suggesting is it doesn't have to be that way. If I have a seasonal business like real estate or contractors or any, anyone like that, um, it's possible for me to, to make my payments more based on the seasonality. That is correct. But and just no penalties. Don't, or the, or you're, now you're going to get to the butt. No, <laughs> just don't forget that you, you know, um, when you do have these robust seasons that you, you haven't you haven't shorted yourself. You have to make sure that the withholdings are definitely going to cover it. Sure. Um, and it happens, too, with somebody who would sell a piece of real estate mm-hmm. and incur a large capital gain. I, I had a client that actually did it on April 1st. So that is a second quarter event. I wasn't going to have her make four quarters of payments because it hadn't happened yet. So what we wound up doing, we figured out what the gain was, what it was going to do to her tax liability, and she made one estimated payment at the end of second quarter. And she covered herself that way. Smart. Now, when you do it yourself and you... Um, Which is a terrible idea. Don't, don't do your taxes <laughs> yourself. Come on now. But when you do do it yourself... I, and I don't you, care what they're selling out there. I mean, give me a break. That's a terrible idea. It, but what's going to happen is these computer programs, when you put in uh, that you made on uh, your first quarter, you made... A payment of X and then second quarter a payment of Y and it's much substantial they may hit you with an under the computer program itself may can uh, calculate an underpayment penalty because they don't see you as making it evenly which sure. is fine but our tax code says it's a pay-as-you-go system so what in that case you would have to do is annualize your income and there is a form uh, it's a 2210 which is what calculates the penalty when you go on there that form, you would just say what you earned in that quarter. Now, of course, nothing with the government is very easy. First quarter is pretty standard, January, February, March. Second quarter is April and May. So it's a little skewed there. And then third quarter is June, July, August. And then fourth quarter, the skew again, September, October, November, December. Mm. So when you put it in, that way, then the payments should match up to how you earn the income, and it should make sure that you get it should eradicate any of those penalties. Thank you. No problem. Got to keep in mind, though, we've got penalties on the state side, too. Okay. Okay. Um, Pennsylvania, it's a flat rate. If you have $8,000 of untaxed income, 8,000 times 3.07 is $246. If you hit that magic number, you know that you're going to get a penalty and interest. New Jersey, if the payment is more than $400, you're going to get hit with an interest penalty for them too. Okay. Thank you. What else? Okay. Well, I just want people to think about credits that they may have qualified for in 2015 that may go away in 2016. Hmm. Here's an example. Your child turned 17 and you used to get the $1,000 child tax credit. Well, once that kid hits 17, that's gone. That's $1,000 credit that may be gone. Or even if your child doesn't hit um, 17, sometimes if your income's too high, you'll phase out of that too. Along those same lines. Any idea what the thresholds are on that? 
um, I think they start around one hundred and ten thousand dollars for married filing joint. Okay. And it's it's a it phases out gradually. It's not that it's an all or nothing thing. Got it. Um, dependent in child care expenses. This one does not have a phase out based on income. It is based on the age of the child. As soon as that kid hits thirteen, you're done. So uh, and and depending on your income, it could be a six hundred dollar credit or even more. So you would always want to make sure that you're keeping um, your eye on when they turn when they turn that next turn. And the thing is, if they turn it in the middle of the summer, you can you can qualify for it up until the time they actually hit that age, next age level. So, um, and then another thing is education credits. If you have a child that uh, you know graduated college and you were used to getting the American Opportunity Credit, that may go away because of that. Again, that's another one where it can phase out based but so on did income. But so did the payments. Yeah, the payments. You know, the tuition payments are gone. They're so gone too. I don't think anybody's crying the blues over that tax break going away. But the education credit does phase out on income as well. It mm. starts at 160 and it's complete uh, for married filing joint and it's completely gone by 180. So if you got a large promotion at work and your kid may still only be a junior, even though they're still going to school, you may have lost that credit. So it's always good to keep an eye on the changes that might be happening. And of course, we always want to keep an eye on our itemized deductions too. If you refinanced, you may pay less in in, in, in mortgage interest this year. Well, if your income stayed the same, but you're paying less in mortgage interest, your itemized deductions are lower. So therefore, you may have higher taxable income and therefore a higher taxable rate. So you need to donate some stuff to offset that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in other shows. Okay. So, but it's always just keeping an eye on, you know, where you are in comparison to last year and know that you've got six months that you can make some changes. It's not too late to make any changes. So look, I, I think it's really important to, to make the point here about a tax professional. We were joking earlier about not using you know TurboTax and all these other things to do your own taxes. You can see j just the slightest change in your life you know, any sort of life event is going to impact your taxes. And the, the cost of a good tax professional is such a drop in the bucket compared to what they save you in taxes. I think it's one of the biggest no-brainers out there in the world of professionals. You know, we, we pay for a lot of different services in our society these days, and some of them are nebulous. We don't really know what we're getting. But when you're talking about someone like Kathy, who's a true professional who saves her clients money every day and relieves stress at the same time, I just don't understand how anybody wouldn't even consider you know giving Kathy a call so you really need to do that it's keeping it real with Warren Flax on talk radio 1210 WPHT welcome back to keeping it real with Warren Flax on talk radio 1210 WPHT I'm your host Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team remember I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell call 215-945-3000 to get your home sold now or visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for a free report that details our guaranteed sale program. So we're talking today about getting the price you want and need for your home, talking about negotiations tips, talking about pricing tips, even some staging tips. So with me today to help us out on getting the price you want and need for your home is Drew Dickinson from Platinum Realty Team. And Drew, we were speaking earlier about the four different ways you could potentially price your home. And I'll just sort of you know go over them again here. So you could clearly overprice your home. You could somewhat overprice your home, which I would say is probably the most common 
mistake that's made. You could price it at market value, or you could price the home below market value. So we talked earlier about the problem with clearly overpricing the home. The, ga- the example we gave was, you know, my everything in my neighborhood selling between two hundred and two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, and I want to price my home at three hundred thousand dollars. And as ridiculous as that may sound, it definitely happens every day. And and of course we understand. It's never that cut and dry. But there is a a way of thinking out there that says, well, if I build in room to negotiate, it's going to net me more in the end. And we already discussed why that's that's not the case. So let's let's move on to the second, you know, way of pricing a home. And that would be somewhat overpricing it. And I would say, as I, as I mentioned, this is probably the most common way that folks do it. So we, we all agree that, that everything in the area is selling between two hundred dollars and $225,000. So I, I add an extra 5 or 10% into this. Maybe I price it at two thirty-five or two forty, dollars or maybe as much as two fifty. dollars All right. So mm-hmm. tell me about that. Tell me why that happens. Tell me if that's a good idea or a bad idea. I've, I've clearly already hinted that I think it's a bad idea. Let's, let's get into why. Sure. And that is, I would, I would agree with you. <clears throat> that's probably the most common scenario that we do see is the moderately overpriced home. And a good way to tell if your home is moderately overpriced is if you're getting the occasional showing, you know, you get a showing here and there, but you're not really getting any offers at all. Um, that's a, usually a pretty good indicator that, especially in the market that we're in currently, that you're you're still overpriced. I don't know if you've worked your way down from being way overpriced to moderately overpriced, but... And all, all of the points we're making, by the way, are market-driven. Understand. Oh, yeah. we, we're not... We're not saying you have a bad house. We're, we're not saying anyone's doing anything wrong, but there's just market realities here. So let's face it, if the market is speaking to you, and, and you know you mentioned the metric of how many showings I'm getting, let's talk about that a little bit. A well-priced home should get 10 or more showings in a month. Okay, so when you say, oh, no, it's okay, we're getting traffic on the home, Warren, I'm going to ask you for the number. And if you say, well, yeah, we're getting about one or two showings a month, that's not good. Understand, you should know that that's not good. Now, these are not absolute. If you get nine showings last month, you're, you're pretty close, okay? But understand, you should be getting around that number, 10 or more showings in a month, and you really should be getting one or two offers for every 10 or 12 showings. Yep, Yeah. and, and I understand, trust me. I mean, when you're looking at your bottom line and you say, why don't I just try to get an extra ten or $15,000? I, I get the motivation for trying to do that. Well, and we are trying to get you the extra ten or fifteen thousand, right. but overpricing the home is not the way to do it. It is not. The that's way to the do key. It. I love what you said there. We just we want to get more, and we will. But that's not the way to do it. Overpricing no. the home is what's going to cost you money. Right, and it does cost you money in a, different, a bunch of different ways. Let's say you are still you're striving for that extra ten or fifteen thousand dollars over top of of what you re, of what the market's telling your home is worth. Okay, that is going to cost you time on the market. Okay, and if you're on the market for an extra three or four or even five months, let's think about how much you're paying every month. What are your household bills? What is your mortgage payment every month? What are your taxes every month? What is your insurance every month? I mean, that in an average household, uh, at around two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand dollar purchase price, you're talking between fifteen and two thousand dollars. Okay, if you're on the market an extra five months, you just cost yourself $10,000. Most people don't really tend to look at it like that, but that is incredibly important. I mean, if you're if you're looking for that extra money, you have to account for the money that's coming out of your pocket every month to pay those bills. And that's real money. That's after-tax money. That's money that comes 
into your bank account and right back out in the form of your mortgage payment. Okay, so you really want to make sure that you're not selling yourself short. You be like, oh, I'll wait for that extra. The right buyers out there, they'll give me that extra ten thousand dollars. Well, you could have had that ten thousand dollars and sooner if you had priced it accord, priced it appropriately from the beginning. And that's that's our job is to help you help you do that. We're talking about how to get the price you want and need when you sell your home. And you can get a copy of this free report. Just visit our website, 1210homeprice.com, www.1210homeprice.com. These are things you need to know to net the most money in your pocket from your home sale, 1210homeprice.com. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax, from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call me directly at 215-945-3000 or visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. So we're speaking with Drew Dickinson from Platinum Realty Team about how to get the price you want and need for your home. And Drew, we're talking about, you know, speculation basically building in into my asking price an extra five or ten percent because I you know I perceive that that's the way homes are sold or I perceive that that's leaving me room uh, you mentioned uh, an important point well Warren I need an extra five or ten thousand more than my neighbor got for their home well the first thing I would ask is why right why why do you need an extra five or ten thousand dollars of course we all want an extra five or ten thousand dollars i want to be clear about that but why do you need it because in many 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 cases the perception is well i can't get the next house that i want unless Mm. i walk away with x from this current home sale i can't do these other things that i want in my life unless i net x out of this home sale drew just made an amazing point about that a quicker sale will benefit you because you you're out of this home and the monthly expenses are not accumulating that's a critical <clears throat> number but the other thing is we solve every day issues for our home sellers particularly sellers that are going to be buying whether it's locally or somewhere else this challenge comes up a lot and we have different ways of solving the issue of getting you into the house you want to buy without requiring a, an unrealistic amount uh, netted out of this current sale. So I didn't explain that very well, but the, the fact is trying to get more out of this home sale than is possible in the current market will likely cost you money in the end because of overpricing. And the, the real thing to do is communicate with your agent what your goal is. Well, we want this house in Florida and we need X to get it. All right, now it's time for us to speak to your agent in Florida and talk about a different way to structure that purchase down there so that you can get that home without an unrealistic down payment. We do it all the time. Yep. And it does seem to happen in Florida a lot, but it's it's local as well, of course. So, all right, Drew, we've talked about two things. We've talked about <clears throat> somewhat overpricing and we've talked about clearly overpricing. Pricing at market value seems the obvious answer here. And so we don't have to spend a lot of time on that. But what about the fear of pricing below market value? Okay, so if everything in the area is selling between two and two twenty-five, there are some folks who might say, you know what, let's price the home at one ninety. What would be the positive or the negative to doing that? Well, we have a very uh, efficient market when it comes to real estate, which is a good thing, especially a good thing if you're worried about underpricing your home. Because if your home is underpriced in our current market. The market will be screaming at you that you're underpriced, okay? Because there'll be buyers lining up to purchase your house, okay? We've done a, a, plenty of deals where that was the extra strategy that the seller happened to require. They needed to be out of their house quickly, and they say, Drew, I'm worried about pricing it 
under under market and I said listen in most cases the market's going to correct you okay and we've we sell a lot of houses every year for over asking price and that's that's the correction Right and there. essentially, you, you'd get multiple offers if exactly. it's handled correctly. The right. important point to make here is it needs to be handled correctly. So this is one of the things we do. We have strategies for accumulating multiple offers all at once so that you don't just take the first offer and undersell your home, but actually right. do get those multiple offers and create an auction-like effect on your home. Hey, it's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for details. Great show today, highlighting how to get the price you want and need, and we appreciate all the guests on today's show. I also want to thank our show engineer, Frank Canal. Next week, you will lose thousands of dollars when you sell your home if you don't have the right wording in your contract. Just a few words can cost a fortune. We'll save you the stress and the money. That's next week and every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax. I'm Warren Flax.